That was an excerpt of Charles's aria, Bend, Don't Break, from Act Two of Fire Shut Up in My Bones. It was sung by Will Liverman at the Metropolitan Opera last year during its premiere. Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Stephen Anthony Rawson, and today I'm excited to talk with the absolutely brilliant composer and musician Terence Blanchard about his opera, Fire Shut Up in My Bones, which is playing at the Lyric Opera right now here in Chicago. Hey, how's it going? Hey, it's good. How are you? Good, 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 good. So, Fire Shut Up in My Bones, it first premiered at the Opera Theater in, of St. Louis in 2019. Um, and since then, it opened the Mets 2021-2022 season. And uh, this month, it will receive its Lyric Opera premiere here in <laughs> Chicago, where I am. Uh, and your opera is based on the memoir of the same name by Charles Blow. Uh, when did you know where you, you were going to write this opera, and why did you want to tell a story about black boyhood in the Deep South? Well, I was commissioned to write it at the premiere of my first one, so I knew that I had a second opera coming. I just didn't know what the subject matter was going to be at the time, but my wife had read the book on a suggestion from a friend of hers, and um, she was just overwhelmed by the the, the story. And then I read the book and also being from the South, being from Louisiana as well, I related to so many things culturally in the book. And um, I thought the story was a very powerful one, but it was also his success, you know, that really piqued my curiosity because, you know, he is such a successful journalist and he's a brilliant writer. It just spoke to the, his resilience and strength, you know, in a way that I thought could be very compelling and powerful for people who may be experiencing something similar. Yeah, it is a, it's a very powerful book and to turn it into an opera and to really reveal the drama, I, I bet, did you, did you get a chance to talk with Charles before uh, you had decided to turn this into an opera? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I went, actually had lunch with him to talk to him about it. He he was trying to figure out, you know, how we were going to do it and why. And uh-huh. <laughs> But I think once he saw it, he got, he kind of got and understood what was going on. That's pretty cool to make a, 
you know, to write an opera about someone who's living. Well, that's the whole idea also, you know, is to write stories or to create stories that relate to people's lives today. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've always thought opera was the people's form, you know, but we are so consumed with, with the great classic operas, which they are well-deserved. I mean, they're amazing, you know, um, that for most people, those stories don't relate to them. So they have no interest in experiencing them because they're not opera lovers. But I remember when we did Champion, my first opera in New Orleans, there was a gentleman who came to the show and he said, well, if this is opera, I will come. Because mm -hmm. he knew who Emil Griffith was. He remembered the entire story. He remembered watching Friday Night Fights. And the opera itself brought a lot of, brought back a lot of great memories for him. So, you know, that's the same thing that happens in Fire Shut Up In My Bones. When the fraternity comes out on the stage, man, to do the step sequence. When we were in New York, man, them dudes mm -hmm. had a standing ovation before they even danced, <laughs> you know? And I think it's because people saw themselves on the stage at the Met. That's the thing that blew their minds. That uh, that reminds me a little bit, just your experience talking about the the reaction to the step dance. Um, I got to see Kahinde Wiley's uh, exhibition, A New Republic, at the Seattle Art Museum uh, <laughs> a while back, and uh, I was I was blown away by the reaction to little kids, uh, you know, reacting to the portraiture and being like, I wear those same Nikes, you know, as as the person. <laughs> And getting so incredibly engaged and excited about posing yeah. with it and taking pictures. Right. Well, that's the whole idea. You know, we tend to forget that opera was for the people, man. It was basically, you know, their, their, their greatest form of entertainment. They were going to see these operas, understanding the stories and relating to them because it was dealing with their lives. Mm -hmm. you know? And that's, you know, what we're trying to do with these operas. We're not trying to write totally period pieces but you know we're trying to create stories that people can relate to yeah well let me ask you a little bit uh specifically about fire shut up in my bones um it's a story about charles sung by will liverman who is coming to terms with a traumatic incident of sexual abuse from his childhood uh, and in the act two aria peculiar grace he sings a black boy from a lawless town where everyone carries a gun I carried shame in a holster around my waist. Mm -hmm. And uh, Charles' shame leads, his shame leads him to uh, feeling a tremendous burden of pain and loneliness and anger, um, along with the feeling that his, his manhood has been taken from him. I'm, I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about this aria, Peculiar Grace, and its significance for Charles. Well, you know, that, that phrase wasn't even in his book. It was something that he mm -hmm. told Casey in passing in in a conversation, but it's something that I really could relate to, man, you know, um, because society always wants everybody to act the same way, you know, and when we're kids, you know, when we see that kid that's a little different, we don't know how to relate to that. And sometimes we persecute that kid because he's different, you know, and the thing about Charles is he was dif different, but he was a sweet kid. He was a graceful kid. You know, he was the kid who was just trying to mind his business, trying to find his way, you know. And the thing that I worry about in our societies are so many kids like him that don't find a path, don't have support. 
and, you know, to, to succumb, you know, to their own suffering, you know, and um, that particular piece means a lot to me, what it says, what it stands for, and where it happens in the opera, you know, the, the, it happens a few times, but I love it when Angel Blue would sing it, you know, because even though she's she's a she's a ghost or a spirit you know it really comes across as more like a mothering kind of thing nurturing kind of uh, a statement about his character Goodbye, Daddy, and your good time. 
for where did this where did this idea come from to have uh, the characters that Angel Blue sings? I think it came from Casey Lemons, who's the okay. librettist. You know, the idea of loneliness uh-huh. and destiny. You know, uh, these these two things that kept him company in the midst of all of his struggle. We've all had those moments, man. Some, well, I don't, I don't want to say we've all had, but but there's some of us who have had moments where, you know, you don't fit in, where you're not part of the norm, and those quiet moments are when you have those conversations with yourself about it all. You know, what does it mean? Why don't Why don't I fit in? You know, um, and loneliness becomes your best friend. Mm-hmm. You know, and destiny is the energy that inspires you to move forward destiny is the thing that kind of propels you and sometimes you don't even know that destiny exists but you realize that there's something out there that you need to reach for you know um so the idea of both of these characters being played by one person i thought was a phenomenal idea but just the creation of them in general and i think it's a, it's an, it's becoming a very effective tool in this opera. Yeah, and they get such beautiful music too. Yeah, thank you. Stranger in 
Well, let me ask you a little bit about Billy, who's Charles' mother, who's uh, sung by Latonia Moore. Um, she works in a chicken factory, and after discuss- discovering her husband is unfaithful, she threatens him and, and tosses him out. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has a lovely aria as well, her her act one aria. She sings to Charles sometimes, you got to lay your burden down and leave it yes. in the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to use this pain to make you stronger. Yeah. Um, this advice is is really crucial to Charles when he's looking back on it. What what impact does Billy's aria have on him and his understanding of both her own pain um, and his? Well, I mean, you know, it's 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 that mothering thing. It's that thing of I've gone through this and I don't want you to go through this. Mm-hmm. It's that nurturing aspect of trying to keep your kid from suffering, even though we know we can't do that totally. We try to minimize that as much as we can as parents, you know, and the the, the whole notion of her struggle is to stay of keep the keep the boat afloat so she can save her kids, you know, and especially Charles. Um, Charles, the youngest of five, you know, but she had a family to raise. She had boys to raise, you know, so while her husband wasn't necessarily the best person to help her do that. You can hear the pain and suffering in that aria. You can hear it in the words. You know, Latonia's performance of it was simply amazing. You know, as a matter of fact, I remember when we first did it, she kept saying she wish she wishes that her mother could come and see the opera, you know, because of the role that she was playing, you know, and you know, man, you know, going back to the relevance of these stories, I'll just tell you this. There's been a number of nights that when I would go backstage for the curtain call, there'd be a number of nights where a lot of the principals were in tears, you know, backstage, you know. And it's because the, the story is a very powerful story, and performing it can be cathartic for a lot of people. It's been cathartic for people who came to see it as well as, as obviously, as well as those who were performing it. You know, I'll never forget the first day of rehearsal, man. We had to have a discussion just about the importance of the piece. And we had the entire cast, singers, actors, and dancers, you know, sitting in a circle. And the type of conversation that occurred as a result of just taking the time to explore this was was phenomenal. You know, from the oldest people who were saying that so many people need to see this opera to the youngest people being appreciative for us having the discussion and helping them to realize that them being persecuted for being different in their schools was something that most people, a lot of people had gone through and it was giving them strength to deal with it. It was the, the entire piece, man. Mm-hmm. The entire run in New York was just like something that I'll never forget in my life. I I'll, I want to jump ahead just to just stick with that point a little bit. Um, Fire Shut Up In My Bones is an enormous achievement, not only because you are the first African American to have a production at the Met and at Lyric, um, but it's also it also has the opportunity to be a, a turnkey moment in musical history. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, in, in your experience, what in the process, first question, I guess, is what in the process has helped break down the, the gates of these institutions like the Met and the Lyric? What has what opportunities have you have you been given in this production that have really 
you know, help make this magic? Well, well, I think, you know, frankly, I think a lot of it is, is due to George Floyd. You know, um, I think the horrific nature of seeing that um, event unfold on television, yeah. where, the, where there was no need for the, for the standard uh, BS propaganda statements about we didn't see what happened before and we don't, there was no need for that. You know, this man held his knee on this guy's neck for nine minutes while his other officers stood by and did nothing. And while he was screaming for his mother, uh, while people were pleading for him to do something. You know, I think the horrific nature of that broke down a lot of, a lot of hearts and minds because I had a lot of friends of mine who are well-meaning people that don't have racist bones in their bodies as far as I'm concerned. But, you know they may not understand totally what it is that other people go through. And when that happened, I was getting phone calls from a lot of my friends saying that they were so sorry. And, and it was an amazing thing. So I think that helped open the doors for a lot of people to understand that things need to change, you know, mm -hmm. and you got to give Peter Gelb credit for recognizing that and jumping on it right away, you know, because uh, from what I understand, there's a young woman that he is going to, uh, whose opera he's going to produce. There's a young Asian guy whose opera they're going to produce. They're going to do uh, Malcolm X, uh, that opera, coming uh, up soon. Huh. So you know, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of new th things that are going to be happening. And Yannick, man, you know, he also was forging this ahead as well. You know, because Yannick talked about how we have to break this cycle. We have to do stories that are relevant to people's lives. You know, that's that's the most important thing about the art form. And you saw the results of it, man. We saw about eight shows, you know, at the Metropolitan yeah. Opera. You know, that was something I was really, really proud of. And the other thing, too, you know, which doesn't get talked about, and, it, and frankly, it shouldn't, get talked about because for me it's a non-starter in some sense but i will mention it is that we never even set out to have an all african-american cast that wasn't something that we thought was necessary it just wound up happening to be that you know and by it being that i was extremely proud of a large portion of the opera world getting a chance to hear these amazing young voices from our community that that filled my heart man every night when i got a chance to see them perform because they are the best of the best you know and a lot of times they're not receiving the attention or getting the light that they deserve you know but for that small fleeting moment man all eyes were on their talent a friend of mine is the artistic director of an organization called hearing in color Mm -hmm. um, and he led his first opera production back in November, uh, an opera by the young young composer Steve Wallace, okay, called Undying Love, about which was based on a Nas song, mm -hmm. um, and it was it was amazing the kind of talent that was brought to that opera. I mean, I had no idea. Now I'm seeing seeing the names of these these singers everywhere. I mean, they're performing all over Chicago in really big roles. Good. I remember when it was going on in New York, there was one journalist who asked me if I thought Fire Shut Up and Boom was going to 
encourage young African-American people to sing opera. And I'm like, bro, you so missed the boat with that question because they've been around for years. They've been around for generations. They just haven't been covered. You know, like I said, my father, who was much older when he had me, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So he came along and I think he was born in 1919, something like that. So, you know, he had an interest in opera and a lot of his contemporaries had interest in opera. So this is something that's been going on in our community for the longest time, but I'm glad people are finally starting to, you know, see the light and starting to realize the level of talent that exists. If I could shift just a, a little bit, I want to ask about about your writing. Your your writing blends a lot of different elements of mu- different musical elements like Italian verismo and African American musical styles like jazz and gospel and R and B. Um, and I've I've heard you describe your first opera, Champion, as an opera in jazz. Yes. Which to me makes me think of Rhapsody in Blue or or Ellington's you know Mood Indigo. I, I'm I'm wondering what you can tell me about opera and jazz and, and what, what that idea means to you. Well, the reason why we said that is because, you know, we didn't want people to really think that what I was writing was a total, totally jazz opera. Uh-huh. You know, um, I, I, I look at, you know, great composers have always taken folklore and used that as a basis or the DNA from what it is they create, you know, um, 
when you look at Stravinsky, you can hear Hungarian folklore inside his music, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's all of what that music is. So for me, I've tried to do the same thing. You know, jazz, you know, there's a, is, is a large part of the DNA of both operas, you know, but it is not the mainstay of the entire thing. You know, I try to bring in, like you said, my background in the church, you know, uh, into uh, fire set up in my bones. So, you know, that's the reason why we use the term opera in jazz. We wanted to wanted people to understand that it was jazz influenced, but not, not necessarily a total jazz opera.
can you tell me a little bit about about what you have coming next? What what are you working on right now? I just finished a film uh, with Andy Garcia and Gloria Stefan, uh, directed by Gads Alazarsky. Uh, it's called uh, it's a remake of Father of the Bride. Uh, man, and it's a really good movie. It's going to be on HBO Max. Cool. I'm getting ready to start touring again, you know, with the E-Collective. We had a performance in Florida, and uh, we're actually going to be in Chicago. I just don't know what the venue is. We're going to be there a couple of days after the, the, the premiere of uh, Fire. I have to look it up, man, so I can tell people where we're going to be. Yeah. And then, you know, we're starting to do some new music, and I have some other projects coming along some uh, documentary and some film projects that I'm really, really excited about, but I don't want to talk about it just yet. Mm -hmm. And I'm teaching, you know, I'm still teaching at UCLA, you know, and uh, as a matter of fact, I have class today. That's <laughs> one of the things I have to go and do later on. That's, I mean, that's quite a bit. I'm excited. I've got my ticket to, to fire shut up in my bones for, uh, for April. Um, I need to, I now need to get HBO max, I think. <laughs> yes yeah because this is a really good movie man it's it, i'm not into remakes i'm always a little nervous about them but when i saw this one i knew i had to be a part of it because oh. it's it's really it's really cool the father of the bride is a classic i'm excited yeah. that's good i want to thank you so much for taking the opportunity to talk to me i, I really appreciate it thank you man i really appreciate appreciate the time too and i appreciate the coverage for sure I want to thank the Metropolitan Opera for providing us with these wonderful audio excerpts. If you'd like to discover more about the music you heard today, please check us out at relevanttones.com. Relevant Tones is a production of Access Contemporary Music, a nonprofit organization with the mission of bringing musical creativity to life every day. Find out more at acmusic.org. <laughs>